everyone's sitting here so impressively quietly. It doesn't seem like you've all just arrived. Kind of reluctant to say anything. don't know what's going on in your minds may not be as quiet and still as you all appear so welcome uh, friends old and new some uh, well known faces some I kind of recognise I'm not quite sure whether it's from here or elsewhere and some of you you know, we haven't met before and uh, maybe you haven't been to Gaia House before I think there's quite a few of you who are here for the first time. So, whatever your circumstances and history with uh, Gaia House or with me or lack of history, well, welcome. Welcome anyhow. Welcome anyway. Welcome whoever and however you are as you arrive here. Those of you who are here for the first time may find yourselves curious. I hope you find yourselves curious. Curiosity is one of the great qualities we have to draw on this weekend. A kind of deep, fundamental curiosity about you know, this curious condition of being alive, being human. Having this thinking, feeling process going on. Now, what's that? What's this? What's this? And so it may be that your initial curiosity, you know, what, what's this place? What's going on here? Who are these other funny characters? Etc., uh, etc. Et you know, the kind of... Uh, Curiosity that just gets stimulated by new or unfamiliar circumstances. Oh, natural, normal. And yet the encouragement to let that, curios- that curiosity settle into you know, what I might call a, a, a kind of fundamental curiosity. And if you have the misfortune to have become so familiar, either with Gaia House or with me, that you're not curious, oh dear, then I would uh, encourage you the stimulation of curiosity. It would be a shame if, we, if the familiarity of surroundings in Gaia House or of the context coming on retreat, if the familiarity of that were to dull our curiosity in such a way that we would... You know, that we were trapped or we were fooled by the thought of, oh yeah, I know what this is like. That kind of kills off our curiosity. That delusion, that arrogance, we might say, of thinking we know what this is. Thinking we know what this is. Life's too alive for it to be pinned down by our poor definitions. Life's too vast, too free, 
too expressive, too creative, too extraordinary for us to ever really kind of get a handle on it. Oh yeah, I know what that is, what this is, who I am. So this curiosity that I'm just speaking about, it's not really even the curiosity to find an answer. We may, in, in moments of uh, you know, those eureka moments, called vipassana, insight, in this tradition, in Dharma teachings, may have those moments where things appear to us very clearly, where what was obscure or confused before suddenly stands out as being well known, well understood, well met. But that curiosity really is ongoing. Life keeps on opening itself up, keeps on revealing more and more about itself. So, we might call this weekend an opportunity really to be deeply curious together. Everything's set up for that. The silence. Allowing us to drop below the buzz. The idle curiosity. What's going on here? What's that about? What did I forget? What would I like to remember? What am I going to do afterwards? What was I doing yesterday? To drop below that into what we just started to call a kind of fundamental... Curiosity. And just to allow the silence to hold you in that way. And even as having met each other a little bit maybe and had supper together, just as you arrive in here, oh, that kind of settling, the invitation that the silence extends to you. It's really set up not not to um, not just so we can avoid the kind of social awkwardness that we're so good at, you know, the so endless social posturing and presenting and uh, all that stuff we do. And the silence isn't so to avoid each other. The silence is this uh, invitation to settle to slow down, to simplify, to explore. To try and get in the title of the retreat here, opportunity to love what is. I think, I'm not sure if it made it into the final cut of the program, but originally when I gave the title, it said it was loving what is, and then in brackets, whether you like it or not. Did that bit make it into the title? Or no. So you just you're just loving what is. Okay. So I just I had the thought this afternoon when I was here. You know, what do, if if your people are coming to that afresh, what might you understand by that title? 
Sounds kind of like a nice idea, nice sentiment. Bit hippie, maybe. Right? I mean, obviously it hasn't put you all off too much, because otherwise you wouldn't be here. But it could sound a little trite, as well, you love what is. So, what might be a kind of skillful way of really navigating through the weekend in the light of that uh, instruction, in the light of that possibility, that possibility for a kind of open, welcoming, allowing, intimate, questioning relationship with life, with whatever we notice unfolding. Reminds me of a line by a wonderful uh, Japanese Zen teacher, Shunryu Suzuki. He said, um, everything is perfect just as it is. And there's plenty of room for improvement. One of these kind of wonderful paradoxes. And something important, I think, for this this idea of, of loving what is, about the two sides of that paradox. We could be coming here with a strong sense that uh, there's plenty of room for improvement. We may have some kind of agenda about what it is that needs improving, what we need to do about improving it, and what it will look like once we've done some improving. And of course that might be a, a, a clear and important motivation for our practice, right? There's these, these things I notice that kind of get a hold of me in my life. And these unhelpful patterns that, I, that uh, you know, seem stronger than my will, for example. Or there's this way I get confused and I sort of intuit that there's a way of meeting life that can be clearer, deeper, truer than the sort of blind groping around that we might often feel is characterizing our life, kind of unconsciously bumping it from one experience to another. But if we've only got the sense of that plenty of room for improvement, if we're putting a pressure on ourselves to improve in whatever way that might be, if we've got too much of an agenda of what we need to do in our practice generally or in this weekend, then there can easily be something unloving, ungentle, unallowing about that. If we're too busy trying to get ourselves somewhere else. Even if that uh, imagined somewhere else is somewhere seemingly better, freer, somewhere more spiritual, whatever that might be. So that, that um, the truth that there's plenty of room for improvement is tempered by this recognition that simultaneous with that, everything's perfect as it is. A reminder to, to slow down, to listen deeply, 
to the, we might call it perfection. The Buddha had this lovely word, tatata, which in Pali means, it's often translated as suchness, but it means the, the just like thisness. The just like thisness of sitting here together right now. that we can listen to, that we can sense, that we can allow ourselves just to drop into a little bit. And yet, of course, if we get too carried away with, oh, it's just everything's perfect as it is, then there can reasonably be a kind of dullness, complacency, where the curiosity, where the willingness to look and see and explore and discover isn't really alive. So that lovely line might be a kind of an orientation for us during the weekend. How might we embody those two truths simultaneously. Right? Not, not the idea of them, not trying to put the, the ideas, are, the two ideas are contradictory. But below the idea, in the way we actually inhabit our experience, in the way we pay attention, in the way we listen deeply to what's happening, How might we embody these simultaneous truths? Everything's perfect just as it is. And there's plenty of room for improvement. So this quality that we might call loving what is, that we might call being a gentleness with things, an allowing of what's happening, an opening to what's happening, underpin our practice. Maybe moments when what we are attentive to what we're attuned to, maybe exquisite, some kind of delight, relief, luminosity, peace, that we might notice in that attuning to what's happening, in the sitting silently, in the walking under the trees, in the eating a meal in countless different moments. <coughs> and it's probably a fair bet that there'll also be moments when what we're attuned to, what we're in touch with, is less than exquisite. Difficult, painful, confusing maybe. Sometimes physically Challenging, 
to maintain the steadiness of the of meditation posture, the steadiness of the practice. Sometimes it's emotionally uncomfortable just to be faced with the kind of the bare the bare fact of our own life of what's going on the the dramas and details of our relationships of our trajectory through life the things that tug on our thoughts the things that uh, agitate our hearts because even though you know there's this kind of theoretical context whereby we leave the rest of our world behind you know we we leave our work and our families and in order to come here we turn our phones off that's a reminder if you need one that sense of you know really offering yourself the gift of um putting aside some of the familiar rhythms and duties and responsibilities that uh, pull on our attention so much. And so even though there's a certain setting aside in being here, also, of course, we don't really necessarily leave that behind. It keeps on turning within us. Like the title of that book by John Kabat-Zinn. It's called Wherever You Go, there you are. So sometimes, you know, the, in contrast to the kind of beautiful intention we might have towards stillness and steadiness and allowing and gentleness and all these other kind of lovely sounding qualities that I've just evoked, sometimes it's, oh, crazy mind, sore heart, dead legs. And those moments too really invite us. Not to like them, of course, but to love what is in the sense of daring to allow what's happening. Daring to listen. Daring to let what's expressing itself right now actually have its expression have its life there's a kind of extraordinary respectfulness to life an extraordinary respectfulness to ourselves by just letting our experience unfold as it is and you know you can pretty much trust this context Whatever, however the schedule is set up, and if you're coming for the first time, you might look through it and think, oh my God. It's like basically meditation, 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 meal. Meditation, 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 meal. But you can pretty much trust the context. The meditation won't be too grueling. Not, not, there's no kind of beds of nails here. There's this context of gentleness. And so the invitation is to trust the context and trust yourself 
trust each other, to be trustworthy with each other, so as to dare to allow whatever arises. That's, uh, that's often quite counterintuitive. Right? We, we often, first tendency is to kind of fight with whatever's uncomfortable. Fight or flight. You know? Either we try and strategize it away and uh, kind of interfere with our experience in different ways, or we just try to flee and get away from it. Whether it's physical, and that might be in any context of our life, but if this is the context of a meditation retreat, you know, the physical discomfort of meditation sometimes. All the ways in which we can kind of endlessly shuffle trying to get into some elusive, perfect posture. Which, by the way, (laughs) doesn't really exist. The way we can interfere so much, so tiringly, so exhaustingly, so futilely with our emotional experience. Justifying, replaying, or uh, you know, going over and over again what he said or what she did, or etc., etc. Rather than actually just allowing us to feel the, the what, whatever it is, the anger or the hurt or the sadness or the confusion, or the doubt, So when we talk about this quality of allowing, gentleness, it's not, a, it's not just a kind of airy-fairy, it's not a nicey-nicey kind of allowing. It's a radical allowing. A daring to let our life be like it is right now. A daring to face ourselves rather nakedly, rather honestly, rather directly. Without suppressing or pushing away what's happening. And also without just acting it out. Letting what's here unfold. Letting what's here reveal more of itself. Radical allowing. And because of that, what I'm now calling radical allowing, that what that means is any experience is welcome. And partly that's, that's an encouragement to you, in, just inwardly, to, to see if you can just make way for, without judging, without pushing away, and without acting out. Whatever shows up. But it's also very much an encouragement in, in the contact that we have. Certainly from my side, anything's welcome. Everything's welcome. And sometimes if you've been around... Um, well, maybe Gaia House or kind of or Buddhist teachings or a kind of meditation scene in general, sometimes it can seem like the bandwidth of what's okay, what's allowable, what's reasonable, what's 
God forbid, spiritually correct, it can seem like that bandwidth's quite narrow. It can seem like, oh, well, everything's allowed and we're just going to make room for everything. But what that ought to look like is some kind of um, being nice, being peaceful, being wise, being compassionate. Please don't try and fake those things. We can't, uh, we can't fake, we can't force those qualities of heart. They're actually more likely to arise spontaneously as the fruits of really allowing what's going on, which is sometimes not those things, it's sometimes difficulty. Anger, hurt, fear, resentment, doubt, judgment. So if we're using this language of radical allowing, that has to be extended to whatever it is that shows up. And in the, in the opportunities we'll have during the weekend and the different times after meditation, for example, when I'll ask you, you know, what's happening? I really want to make that warm invitation, you know, you don't need to censor your experience. You don't need to put it in some kind of uh, spiritually correct packaging. Whatever's alive for you, that's what needs attention. Whatever's alive. And whatever's alive for you is really welcome to be brought forth, to be explored, to be met. Both inwardly in your practice and in the communication that we can have. often feels like, well, seems like that meditation is um, working with the mind. Working with our thoughts, working with our habits, working with our... Uh, sometimes an attempt to kind of um, do battle with the mind or do away with mind. Sometimes an attempt to get beyond mind, get beyond thoughts and habits, etc. And you know, this, this word mind can crop up a lot. And our sense when we hear the word mind of that being kind of quite head focused. Last weekend I was uh, teaching in London and I had a, an interesting conversation with a, neuro, a neurologist or a neuroscientist, not quite sure. And uh, she said something which I found completely fascinating. Maybe you know this, but I didn't. That neurons, you know, neurons are the things which fire in the brain by which brain activity is measured, right? There's as many neurons in the, in the heart as there are in the brain. I can't remember how many. It, was 40, it might have been 40 billion. 400 billion. There was a four and an illion in there, but I can't remember exactly. So it might be many, many billions out. But anyway, there's as, apparently as many neurons in the heart as there are in the brain. And... Uh, 
I just just right before coming in here, I remembered this uh, this conversation and checked it out, and I googled neurons in the heart, and I found all kinds of articles called things like the thinking heart or your heart has a mind of its own. Oh, Various things. I didn't really have time to read uh, much of that, but that sense of a kind of a heartful intelligence. You know, we think of intelligence as a mental, as a, a cerebral kind of activity. And then there's apparently there's even more, like way more neurons in the gut than there are in the brain. So new. My mother always used to say, I th- you think with your stomach. But now I feel, oh yeah, that's a good thing. Right. That sense of a kind of somatic intelligence. You know, if, the, if the head center is the center of, kind of our cognitive brilliance, then the heart is the center of our emotional uh, brilliance, we might say. Our emotional intelligence. This extraordinary capacity we have to feel life. To respond to life. To, to, to know and to live an emotional relationship with, with being alive, with being conscious. And then the belly, the gut, full of neurons. You know, embodied intelligence the center of our embodied brilliance, this capacity we have to actually to, to kind of make this miracle that we are of being human, make it manifest in action, in being. Of course, the more we penetrate our experience, the more we directly confront the fact of being here, of being conscious, then the more the, the seeming divisions between thinking and feeling and bodily life, kind of uh, the distinctions break down or blur. It's a, it's, a, it's a useful way to speak about our capacities, mental capacity, emotional capacity, bodily capacity. But those things don't exist in any real way apart from each other. You can't find mind as its own thing. You can't find feeling as its own thing. Thinking, feeling, sensing life goes on, unfolds. And our practice is one, you know, most fundamentally, of inhabiting this. Inhabiting this sensory, emotive, conceiving experience called being human. And it's a it's surely we might think is a must be a very it must be very near at hand that kind of real inhabiting life. It must be very near at hand because here is thinking. Now, thoughts happening. Here is feeling. 
feeling inspired, maybe, feeling bored, feeling tired, feeling confused. I don't know what you're feeling, but there's feeling life going on. And, you know, bodily life, this sitting, this seeing, this hearing, all the sensory realms of our experience. So near at hand. You know, our experience is immediate. It's right here. We don't need to go anywhere to get it. And yet the miracle is, the mystery is, at least it seems to me after 20-something years of, of this practice, that however immediate our experience is, there seems to be no end to the degree to which we can inhabit it more fully more immediately, more alively, more viscerally, more engagedly. It's enough adjectives, I think. And so that simultaneously, that sense of the accessibility to life itself, right here, in this sitting here, and this breathing, and this feeling, your buttocks on the ground or the chair. And this sensory connection to what's happening. This seeing and hearing. In this feeling, in this thought. Right here. And yet, when we really attend, when we really allow when we really open to this right here-ness, it seems like it can just open and deepen and reveal itself infinitely, in fact. Like I was saying just now, you know, life is too free for us to grasp it. Life's too infinite for us to confine it. So we might call this weekend loving what is. We might call it engaging with the infinity that life is. We might call it all manner of uh, things in an attempt to inspire ourselves. But this is the opportunity. This meeting with immediacy. And let's see together where that might lead. So let's spend some time in meditation together. And I know, you know we've already been sitting here for a while. So let's just take a minute or two. If you need to stand up and stretch your legs a little before we sit then please feel free.
Give a little bit more attention to sitting posture tomorrow for those for who that would be helpful. Well, just initially, let yourself find a posture that's really supportive. Some stability. If you're on the chair, let your feet be flat and well placed on the floor. If you're sitting on a on a cushion, just helpful if your knees are kind of well grounded. Whether your legs are crossed or whether you're kneeling, it doesn't matter. But if your if your knees are kind of floating around, it's a little harder to be stable. You might want to chock. If your knee doesn't come down to the ground, you might want to chock it with a folded blanket or something similar. And then the, the few elements of posture that are really, really supportive. Firstly, a sense of being really straight. You can even exaggerate that. You know, just really elongating your spine. And then letting it relax. In such a way that you've, it's as if your vertebrae are really able to rest one on top of the other. And then also really helpful to have your shoulders and chest be open. You can roll your shoulders back a little bit to support that. And again, then just letting them relax. And thirdly, just the quality of ease. Sometimes we hold tension in our belly. Just really letting your stomach be round and soft. And checking out the muscles in your face as well. Particularly around your eyes and in your jaw. So as you then just really settle into this posture for meditation, just noticing the just noticing the basic aliveness of being here. And quite naturally, quite automatically, there's this capacity to know, to feel, to recognize being here. This capacity isn't something that we can create or need to create. It's the very nature of consciousness. Awake, receptive, attuned to what's happening. And yet so easily we overlay 
our inner dramas and reactions in such a way that we lose touch with this natural knowing. So just really allowing yourself to settle into the naturalness of this basic awareness. And we'll just use the the process of breathing as a way to stay connected. As a way to train our attention to really settle into awareness. And let your attention really come into your chest and belly. Where you can feel the movement of breath. The expansion that happens as you breathe in. The relaxation that happens as you breathe out. Just to see if you can use this natural knowing of awareness to really inhabit the experience of breathing. Really sensing inside the expanding in-breath. The relaxing out-breath. Letting all the other elements of your experience just take care of themselves. Thoughts might pass through. Sounds come and go. Just using the quality of breath to... Deepen your contact with each breath sensing more fully into the expansion as you breathe in and into the relaxation as you breathe out. And just staying really still. Staying in awareness in that moment at the end of the out-breath, that moment between breaths.
Just using the natural rhythm of breath and the felt experience of the expanding and relaxing of breathing to stay grounded in awareness in contact with this being here breathing and so any moment that you notice that's gotten lost or covered over that your attention has been led away into some thought stream and in the moment that you recognize that just using the natural rhythm of breath to come back Back to the out breath.
if there's anything pulling on your attention. Anything that's pulled you away from this natural knowing, this being present. And just take a moment to feel the pull. Feel what it's like having your attention abstracted and caught up. And then as the out-breath comes along, just letting yourself unhook. And as you sense into the natural relaxation of the out-breath. Just returning to embodied awareness. Sensing into your belly and chest. Awareness of expanding in-breath. Awareness of relaxing out-breath. Awareness of the still point between breaths.
if your attention wanders, don't give yourself a hard time. Just gently bring it back. Reconnecting with breath and body. Resettling into natural knowing. Just like this.
last few minutes of the sitting. When the when the bell rings, when the formality of meditation ends, nothing really changes. Oh, here we are still. This moment, this body, 
this participation in life. A weekend in some ways is a kind of an interplay between what we might call formal and informal practice. And just the invitation, you know, as you as the structured part of the day ends. Just to really stay as close as you can to yourself through the rest of the evening. Whether that means, you know, making a hot drink and sitting quietly, or whether even though it's only ten past nine, whether somehow arriving here Landing in the silence, a kind of unwinding of some of the busy momentum of maybe the rest of your lives is such that you find yourself strangely exhausted. It might be that bed is already beckoning to you. And certainly really you know, helpful to rest. Rest well, rest deeply because the bell ring in the morning at 6.25. So, have you seen the schedule already? No? Maybe it was just put up. It'll be up on the various notice boards but I think it was probably has just been put up since we've been in here. So, it says here, 6.25, awake. And then we'll have a meditation together at 6.50, which will go through until breakfast at 7.30. You know, we're only here for a really short time together. So 6.25 might feel like a horribly early time of day. If when the bell rings at 6.25 you find you're really just, you're really weary and unwilling to get up, then, you know, Be gentle. Take an extra minute or so. (laughs) (coughs) And then we'll see each other for meditation here until breakfast time. And the work period will happen after that. And in the time following, it says here, meditation with instruction. And we'll explore some of the elements of formal practice a bit more fully together at that time. And so, you know, some of the themes that I was exploring or invoking before we sat in meditation, just the encouragement to let those live live in you in the informal parts of the day as well. This willingness, really, the willingness to be present to what's happening, the willingness to just gently bring your attention back when you find yourself caught up in various abstractions. The willingness to, you know, kind of just to abide with yourself and with whatever's unfolding. So, I wish you a good rest and a peaceful night. And I look forward to seeing you in the morning. Well, maybe I'll just check in. If, is there anything that that's not clear to you, that feels like it needs to be made clear before uh, before bed, before we meet tomorrow. Can you say a little more 
It's silent. We we are silent. So what that means is basically, you just the invitation is to abide with yourself, and that that means not speaking to anybody else. You know, if you need something, you can come and see me if it's for that or one of the staff. But otherwise, um, basically, apart from interactions that we might have in here or in the meetings that I'll make myself available for tomorrow, there's there there's no other verbal interaction with each other until sometime on Sunday afternoon. I don't have any kind of guideline around eye contact. Okay. So some people find it supportive to in that kind of you know very inwardly turned, you know, the dropping of the eyes and just kind of walking around with one's eyes with one's gaze low, if you like. And sometimes in some environments that's encouraged. But I don't encourage that particularly. Uh, it, I think it's also helpful to have a kind of naturalness. Okay, so there's a certain kind of inward, quiet, introspective gaze, but that needn't preclude the the recognition of one another, whether that's you know in the in the meal queue or whether that's passing in a corridor. And so, I for me, there's no there's no breaking of silence by. God forbid, smiling at somebody or <laughs> or making eye contact. So you can see what's what's supportive for you with that. Otherwise, everything's clear. Good. All right, friends. See you in the morning. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.